Welcome to the Fit Girl Magic Podcast. If you are ready to find your inner magic, develop great habits, and a rock steady mindset to feel confident, comfortable, and fit in your body, you are in the right place. I am Kim Barnes Jefferson, and I'll be giving you weekly doses of health, fitness, and life tips sprinkled with humor and real talk. If you're ready to be consistent without the stress of perfection, magic makers, it's time to slip into your favorite pair of PJs, grab some coffee, kick back, and listen to today's show. Hey, Magic Maker. Today, I had the opportunity to interview Ms. Shayna Hudson. She is a certified dietitian with over 23 years of experience. And in this episode, we take a deep dive into the fascinating topic of blood sugar and insulin resistance and the impact that it has over your overall health. Today, Shayna really breaks down the science between blood sugar regulation and the role of insulin in our body. I mean, you've been on social media. It feels like insulin resistance and blood sugar is all over the place. It's having a moment. And I really wanted to have someone here who understood the complexities, the ins and outs of it, so that we can really understand that it's not just, you know, looking at sugar and having a blood sugar imbalance. It's really about finding the balance between carbs, proteins, and fats in your meal to keep your blood sugar from going on this crazy roller coaster ride. We talk about hormones during perimenopausal and menopausal and how that all changes. We touched on intermittent fasting, but I'm going to give you a little sneak preview here. I'm having her back to talk all about intermittent fastings and do the ins and outs of that. But this conversation was so insightful, unraveled so many complexities, and Trust me, there are just a handful of takeaways, probably more, that I know that you will be able to start implementing just by listening to this episode. So ladies and gentlemen, who am I talking about? Ladies, let's just dive in and unlock the secrets of managing your blood sugar. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Shana. I have put her uh, contact information in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Magic Makers. It's this week's iTunes review. Amy W. Fitness says... Kim knows her stuff, keeps it real on all levels, five stars. Awesome podcast series on relatable topics that women deal with. Kim's advice, along with her sense of humor, is what everyone needs to find their fit girl magic. Well, thank you so much, Amy W. Fitness. That warms my heart. If you haven't yet left your review, please head over to iTunes or wherever Ever you listen to your podcast and hit rate and then hopefully it's a five-star hint and leave me a review. Thanks. All right, magic makers. I really am so excited today because this is a topic that I know I get a lot of questions about and it's such a deep topic. And I got to tell you, like, I can only take in so much in my head. And so I have to find experts and I found Miss Shana Hudson and she is follow her on Instagram because I really like her. You know me, I don't like complicated. I like simple and lovely lady here. She can keep it very, very simple for a topic that has so many flipping layers. So Shana, welcome to the show. Thanks. I am so honored to be here. Yeah. You know, I feel like blood sugar, insulin resistant is having 
a moment. And I feel like it's been something that has been kind of like slowly burning in the background. And right now it's just like a house on fire. You know, I know you've had your own issues. So was it something that like had been, did it happen for you a long time ago? Or is it something that's happened recently? Like, you know, catch me up. Yes. And I'm glad blood sugar and insulin resistance is having a moment because it needs to have a moment because everybody struggles with it um, or will be struggling with it in the near future if their lifestyle does not change. So yes, I'm a conventionally trained registered dietitian. I've been in the field for 23 years. So it's been a long time. I've mostly worked with weight management and health coaching, um, but more recently have really diverted my attention to insulin resistance. And for the first 10 or 15 years working professionally, I didn't see a lot of healing with my Mm. clients, patients. And that was very frustrating. I was teaching the conventional guidelines that are put in place by the, um, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the, you know, all the government conventional recommendations and people just weren't healing. And I started to develop some of my own health issues. I I was bloated all the time. I never had a big issue with my weight, but I was having trouble managing my weight, doing Mm. all things, all the recommendations that I was told. And exercising probably too much and, um, you know, eating all of these healthy whole grains or what I thought were healthy whole grains and all these complex carbohydrates and eating from the time I got up until the time I was sad because that's what we were told. That's how you get energy and, you know, eating the typical breakfast foods. And I had no idea that I had blood sugar issues. I mean, here I was a dietitian teaching people how to lose weight and improve their diabetes. And I had my own blood sugar issues, which I had no idea. So um, about 10 or 15 years in, I left the conventional system. And around that same time, one of my sons got very ill and we were just catapulted into Mm -hmm. the system. We had never really had any big health crises in our immediate families. It was well child visits. And so he was starting all these doctor visits. He had was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an inflammatory bowel disease. And we were just thrown in the throngs of medications and doctors and appointments and um, all of the like layers and layers of medications that weren't working and told that diet had nothing to do with his disease state hmm. and gold colonoscopies. And he was only 11 years old. Right. And so started to deep dive and said, there's got to be more to this than just throwing medications at him for the rest of his life. He's only 11 years old. His growth right. was So he's got 60 plus years of like yes. casing oh, prescriptions. Like, from- there's no way. And um, yeah, and like powerful medications, immunosuppressants that were classified under chemotherapy and Um, I just started to deep dive into integrative natural healing and, you know, nutrition included. And I started to listen to a lot of very smart people in the field and they all talking about intermittent fasting. And at first I completely discounted it. I would just like (laughs) 
my ears off when when they would start talking about fasting and how powerful it was. And here I was, I'm like, there is no way skipping meals can be helpful for anybody. Like, mm. and I was one of those people because I had blood sugar issues. I had to eat right when I got up in the morning. I had snacks in my car. I had to eat every couple hours. I was always thinking about food because I was having highs and lows and I had insulin resistance myself unknowingly. And so we just went through a lot with him. He's, he's doing very well now. He's actually 18 and at college and and has been in remission for years, but it's a long time to get there years and years of being ill. Um, But I just, like, I started to learn about everything that Mm. can play as far as barriers go with health and healing. And um, I actually ended up doing, like I, I started testing fasting on myself and mm. for me to even go till eight or nine in the morning without eating was, was hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the first time I went until noon, I was like, hallelujah. I, you know, I didn't eat all morning. Let's have a celebration. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know how I even did that, but it was really no big deal. And then once I started implementing it. I actually then did a pilot, a very small pilot study on 20 people um, around my area, and they all implemented intermittent fasting and did very well. And these people were in their 40s, 50s, 60s. It's not like they were spring chickens who were just, they had had some issues for a very long time. And so um, I just started deep diving then into insulin resistance and how to reverse it, how to reverse it naturally, because it is a lifestyle disease and lifestyle diseases can be reversed and put into, into remission with proper lifestyle. It's like your lifestyle gets you there and it's your lifestyle that'll get you out. Um, So that's how I, I, I got to where I am today. I've been in doing this for about five years now and it's amazing. Like daily I get messages. Oh, it's working. Like I'm getting better. I'm finally losing weight. And it's not all about weight loss. It's about healing your body right. so that body can let go of that um, extra weight. But it's just so refreshing because here I went, you know, almost 20 years, with right. very little, you know, people just not getting better until, you know, until very recently. And it's like people, like I said, the people that I work with aren't, I mean, there are some in their twenties, teens, I even work with children, but most of them have, have struggled with some sort of health issue for decades and decades and are finally seeing health and healing. Well, cause it's like, if you think about it, like when we're young, you know, our body is just starting to just knock on the door a little bit and, you know, you're like, I'm just going to push through. I don't have time. And then eventually, you know, stuff catches up with you and you, your body's like, I need your attention, you know, and it ha- and you know, for, for many of us, our, our bodies have to trip us <laughs> to, for, in order for us to like stop and truly pay attention to what's going on with us. For sure. Yes. And I, you know, and it's, it's kind of mind boggling because we used to call type two diabetes, adult onset diabetes, right? right? you didn't see kids with type two diabetes. And now there's just been this explosion and it's doubled type two diabetes has doubled in children since 2020. I mean, we all know (laughs) all of the factors that have played a role with that, but we can't even call it adult onset. Like there are, it's a metabolic crisis across the board. I mean, there are 
babies born with insulin resistance because yeah. the mother has such a severe insulin resistance. So yeah, we're just, we're in crisis mode right now, but it's a good thing we're figuring out. Like you said, it's like blood sugar regulation and insulin resistance is having its day because people are waking up to this and they're waking up. Like they just need to be taught properly. We haven't right. been taught properly. So it's like when you have the proper education, you can do something about it. And it's very empowering. Right. So let's step back. So people are like, okay, I'm in. Like Everything she said absolutely makes sense. How would you define insulin resistance? Yeah, that's a hard one. And it, it is it, like you were saying, it's a very complex disease state, or um, I don't even want to say disease state, but it, it runs on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll simplify it as best I can. There are there are a couple of different factors that play into insulin resistance. Um, there are having high levels of insulin is one factor that plays into it. So you're just kind of have too much of hormone insulin being secreted and the levels stay high. And then two, the cells grow resistant to that insulin. So you have both of these things going on, but insulin is a hormone. We would die without it. I don't want people to think like, oh, insulin is bad. It's secreted by the pancreas in response to blood sugar rises. And so we need it because it pushes the energy into the cells. Like we don't just eat food and bam, like where we have energy from it. Like so many things need to happen, not only with our digestion, but with absorption, utilization, like it, it's crazy what your body is doing right now as you sit and after you eat a meal. But over time, if you eat the standard American diet, which most people do, which is 60% processed foods, Um, these foods are very, very high stimulators of insulin. And so insulin is not meant to be secreted all day long by the pancreas. It's meant to just come in these short bursts as we eat meals. And we are not as humans meant to be eating all these processed junky foods that are so carbohydrate centric and so high in sugar. And so it's these foods, the ultra processed foods that you find in packages that people get so addicted to because that's how they're designed designed to, to be addictive. These are the foods that are spiking our blood sugar. And every time we have a very high spike in blood sugar, we're going to push out a ton of insulin. So if we're eating the standard American diet from the time we get up in the morning, because we're told like, eat your breakfast, it's the most important meal of the day. Mm. And when we look at our typical breakfast foods, they're atrocious. I mean, they're like, I, I don't even, I haven't bought cereal in years, but the vast majority of cereals are basically dessert in a box. And, you know, even if you're doing a hundred percent fruit juice and it's organic, it's still a huge load of natural sugar. That's going to spike your blood sugar. We look at muffins and pastries and even whole grain toast and oatmeal and all of these loads of fruit that we're been told to eat in the morning. And I'm not saying all of these foods should be avoided or that we can't right. eat them. It's just we're putting a huge load of carbohydrate in our in our system in the morning, spiking our blood sugar, pushing out a huge load of insulin, and then our blood sugar starts to fall because of the big push of insulin. 
And then our body starts to go on crisis mode. Like, oh my gosh, my blood sugar is falling. I need more carbohydrate. And so the cycle just continues. And so we just get these big pushes of insulin throughout the day. And that's fine. And like, that's why insulin is there. It's basically a defense mechanism for very high blood sugar. And like I said, it directs the energy into the cell. The problem occurs when we're hat, when we're getting these big insulin pushes all day long, and then our insulin levels start to just stay high. Right. And what happens is all the cells in your body have insulin receptors so that they can utilize energy, right? Like mm-hmm. your cells need energy to function. But when insulin is high over time and then the cells, like if we're eating this way, we're just packing them full of energy constantly. And you can only store a finite amount of carbohydrates in the form of glycogen and glycogen is found in the liver and in the muscle tissue. Well, if you keep eating all these carbohydrates and all of, I like to call them little buckets around your body. If all your buckets are full, your body's got to do something with it. And so where the fat conversion is, is happening. And when your insulin levels high, you are in storage, like food storage, energy storage mode, because that's what insulin does is it stores energy. Gotcha. And our high levels of insulin, along with our cells, no longer having any room for any energy, they just start to ignore the insulin. Cause it's like, Hey, it's kind of like a packed suitcase that you can't put one more shirt into mm. when going yeah. on vacation. It's like, you want me to put this energy in my cell, but my, my suitcase is full. I don't have any more room. Right. Right. The blood sugar stays, you know, the energy stays in the bloodstream and then your body just keeps pushing out more insulin. It's just this huge, vicious cycle and you're in fat storage mode. You can't burn energy. And so a lot of insulin resistance, it's high levels of insulin. It's the cells not utilizing energy but it's also an an energy access right. problem. So people have the, the extra body fat, right? Like they're, they're insulin resistant. They have plenty of body fat to burn, but because insulin is high, you can't access. You're just in like, your body just wants to store, store, store instead of burn. Gotcha, and gotcha, so gotcha. Super frustrated because even if you're low calorie, like say you're a woman following a low calorie approach and maybe Still you're- in that some kind of packaged food, you're eating it all day, it's low calorie, but you're stimulating insulin and you're just not going to access the body fat. All right. So let's, let's, you know, you said a lot, so let's go back. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's break this down. So I feel you, right. We were taught about, let's talk about like what our, we were taught about breakfast, right. Wake up in the morning. You know, you still hear people say eat within 30 minutes of waking up. You still see, you know, many times you go to the continental breakfast and it is pastries and muffins and cereals and juices all out. Maybe depending on the place you go, you might see a hard boiled egg. You maybe might see some yogurt, but it's flavored yogurt. Um, So you're saying people like, hey, if this is what you're choosing for breakfast, let's start to see if we can make some changes to that breakfast. So there's not just straight up carbohydrates in our breakfast. Absolutely. That first meal of the day is critical for blood sugar regulation all day long. And so I have a lot of courses that I have developed and students that I work with. And that is like our, we have a couple of things we work on first to try to bring insulin down 
one of them being that first meal being low in carbohydrate and high in protein, because that's going to set your blood sugar tone for the entire day. Yeah. Yeah. It's very frustrating because, um, you know, we can control it more at home and we've been told like, don't eat eggs, don't eat bacon, don't eat. Exactly. That are high, you know, even avocados like, Oh, don't eat those. They're too much fat. Those are the things that regulate your blood, your blood sugar though. So yeah. And the other thing that happens, Kim, is that in the morning and early morning hours, like somewhere between four and 6am for most people, we have a surge of counter-regulatory hormones that wake us up. So growth hormone, cortisol, that's very natural. Mm -hmm. So you see a bump up in your blood sugar. That's just how the human body's designed. So we wake up, we have some energy to get rolling. So a lot of times people wake up, they're not hungry in the morning. And that's because they've, they've gotten this kind of jolt of energy from the liver, basically without some carbohydrates so that you have energy to get up and wake up. And so we've already like our body's got stored carbs, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, that's you're eating a really low carb diet or you're doing a ton of fasting, but it's got some carbs stored there. So then we're putting in all of these carbohydrates and it's just a blood sugar nightmare. So if that first meal is high carb, it's going to set you up for blood sugar roller coaster all day long. Right. So instead, if you can focus on a high protein first meal, wherever that is, it's like, and you know, if people are, are breakfast eaters and they like to eat earlier in the day. That's fine. It's like, right. I'm not saying you can't eat till noon, you know, I, right, I do right. intermittent fasting, but it's whenever that first meal is make it high protein, low carb, and you will not like, and and I'm sure people feel this. It's like, if you eat an omelet versus a smoothie full of fruit and, and even like, I'll just say like an oatmeal, like oatmeal and a smoothie. And again, not that you can't ever eat oatmeal, but I'm just like giving an example where it's all carbohydrate. Like you're probably going to be hungry within a couple of hours and have to eat like right then right, right. if you have an omelet and you maybe with some vegetables and some cheese if you tolerate dairy like that's going to hold you for three four hours you're not going to be thinking about food because you're not going to have those big blood sugar spikes and right, right. So, right. so yeah i i tell my students like 40 to 50 grams of protein for that first meal which is a lot especially right. for because we've been told to stay away, you know, to limit keep our, keep our calories as low as possible. Eggs, yes, right. and, and under twenty grams of carb, and right. you will feel so much better. And again, you don't need to limit your carbs like that all day, but that first meal is critical for blood sugar regulation. And I like the clarification that you made because, like, you know, I know for me, like when I say breakfast, I'm like whatever your first meal is, right? So it's like, and I always feel like when I say first meal, like I talk, that's very clinical, but I always say like whatever brings you joy for breakfast, right? Um, But the other thing, you know, the other challenge I know that some of my ladies who listen to me and some of my clients are early morning exercisers. So, you know, so many people, when you get caught up in um, the intermittent fasting thing, you know, there's always these hard, like everyone wants to follow the rules. And I'm air quoting for those of you who are listening, like everyone wants to follow the rules. But, you know, as you've just said, I've always said, you make your own damn rules, right? There's guidelines and you make your own damn rules. But for those people who like to prefer to work out first thing in the morning, and that means cardio as well as strength training, 
is there some type of like little bit of food that you recommend people put in? Or as you were saying, you know, depending on when your last meal was, there's still a little carb that's going to get you through the morning. It's interesting because I've changed a lot of when I practice intermittent fasting. I'm an early morning exerciser. Um, I'm an early morning person in general. And when I do strength training, it's typically Mondays and Fridays, my class is at 530 in the morning. So it's, it's like, I'm doing hard work (laughs) early in the morning. I prefer myself to be fasted when I'm exercising, just because I don't like the food in my stomach. And I've trained myself. I mean, I've been doing this for five years um, to just to work out in a fasted state. So there's, there's benefits to both. Um, and some people say like, oh, if you're strength training, you have to have the protein and carb within an hour of your workout. There's so much discrepancy here. And so, like you said, I don't think that there is a right or wrong. I, myself, I don't like to eat that early in the morning, but the days that I do strength training, I do you know, break my fast or have my first meal early, a little earlier, like usually between nine and 10, 11 at the latest, if I just can't get to it, um, those days. Um, and so if, so going back to what you said, like there is carbohydrate there, you know, if you want to exercise in a fasted state, The other thing is we have weeks worth of body fat to burn for energy. And people forget about that. They think when they exercise, they have to have carbohydrate there. And it's like, no, we have plenty of body fat. It's again, it's an access issue. And so it really kind of depends on your metabolic flexibility. And I've had people like at my gym even say like, I want to do intermittent fasting, Shanna, but I just can't like get to this class without eating first. And that is usually a metabolic flexibility issue where they just haven't learned to burn fat um, very well when they're in a fasted state. Um, so it it really is dependent on the person. And I know when I first started intermittent fasting, it's like you're, you hear like, oh, I shouldn't eat till noon at least or go to right. one or two. And, and me being like, I've shifted that because I am an early morning person. So for me to wait until two or three in the afternoon and eat this huge bolus of food, when I've been up for eight hours already, and I am more active in the morning, I just changed that. And so now I usually eat mid to late morning. And I like to be done eating like very early in the evening, just because I sleep better that way. I go to bed or, you know, I'm in bed by 930. And so it really, it really is dependent, but I will say, um, and I mean, you could ask 10 different experts and they'll ask you 10 different, they'll give you 10 different answers about, right. I'm never a fan of like, um, you know, carbohydrates on their own without any protein or fat, because it's just such a blood sugar issue right? or like very sugar, like high sugar drinks or smoothies that don't have any sort of protein in them. Um, so, you know, I, I will give guidance that way. And there is some benefit, like if you are doing strength training or a hard workout and you want to incorporate more carbohydrates, having those carbohydrates either the hour within the hour before or before the hour after your exercise, there is some benefits there, but I just don't feel like there's like a right or wrong here. It's just really what works for you. But I have seen with 
a lot of my students that those who were waiting, waiting, waiting until, you know, those, especially doing one meal a day, which I'm not a huge fan of and waiting till late in the afternoon. Like once we shifted their eating window window to earlier and they're fasting more, you know, getting more fasting time before right. bed, they do a lot better and they feel a lot yeah, better. Exactly. And so, you know, for, so people, some people listening here, you know, I'm like, okay, they're like, all right, I get the breakfast thing. I'm down. Check. Now let, let's, what, I'm like, right now, if you guys could see my brain, it's like that beautiful <laughs> mind, like all the things are like jumbled up in, uh, on top of my head. So f- first thing, a lot of the women who listen to me, we grew up in the diet culture through, and the there were rules, like if you didn't follow the rules, right, you had to be a rule follower. Um, one of the rules was I need to eat um, five meals a day and they must be spaced out every, you know, two to three hours or I'm wrecking my metabolism is what we were indoctrinated in. And I know when I first started having my, my hormonal issues on top of metabolic issues, one of the big things was I was over, nothing you would say I was eating was not healthy, but I was never getting hungry. And so you talk about that being, you know, that, that me, I I just kept pressing on the doorbell of my insulin and being like, Hey girl, Hey girl. And finally insulin's like, you're ding dong ditching me. I'm not coming out anymore. So is that part of like, kind of like the lifestyle, like for people who are like, I already eat healthy. I eat really good. I don't eat processed foods. It was that part of the process that got many of us down this path. For sure. And that's exactly what happened to me. And um, so I developed insulin resistance, but didn't know it. So some of my symptoms were, I think I mentioned before, like I was, I was just thinking about food constantly. I never felt like super full or satisfied. I was bloated a lot. Um, And I, yeah, I just, I had some sugar and carb cravings. That's another telltale sign mm-hmm. of insulin resistance and and like afternoon crashes and energy crashes. That's another sign. You're just not accessing the energy that you're putting it. But yes, I grew up in diet culture. Also, I remember, you know, starting around, you know, in high school, thinking about my weight and how the food that I was putting into it was, you know, what what that was doing to me. And yeah, the five meals, a thing, five meals a day, or you're busting your metabolism. It's just, it's just so crazy because it's actually, you know, the opposite is true. And so when I start working with students, the first thing that we work on is that first meal that we already had talked about because that's critical, but just getting out of the habit of snacking Mm. and eating real meals. And that's more known as more like time restricted eating where you're just eating meals and you're not snacking and you have, you know, not eating before bed because what happens is your insulin sensitivity is so like poor at night compared to what it is like midday, like morning and midday, meaning you can eat the same exact meal at noon or one o'clock when we're very insulin sensitive and eat that same meal at eight or nine at night. And it's going to do different things because your hormones shifted. You're not as insulin sensitive. Um, You're very much more likely to store energy at night because of how all of our hormones have ebbs and flows throughout the day. 
And so um, you're not working with your metabolic rate if you're eating a lot at night. Um, but yeah, that five meals a day, like you said, it's like you're just stimulating insulin. And depending on what you're eating, like if you're doing higher fat with protein, that's not going to stimulate the insulin. That's why the ketogenic diet works so well for healing, because it's not a high stimulator of insulin because fat doesn't really stimulate insulin. It's the carbohydrates, the processed foods and protein to agree a degree that stimulates insulin. Um, but yes, what, and it's, it's really crazy, but if you look at studies that are done of people in a fasted state, like truly fasting, I'm not talking about like, oh, I put some collagen in my coffee or (laughs) like people always want to know, can I put this in my, Oh my God, I need to know the rules so I don't break them. (laughs) That's probably, yes, the rules, like that's probably 50% of the questions that I get. But if you're, you're in a truly fasted state, your human growth hormone rises, cortisol rises a bit, people get really up in arms. Well, isn't my cortisol going up? It's like, yeah, it does a a little bit, but it's actually a protective mechanism. Um, Cortisol isn't all bad, we don't want it to be dysregulated, but a little bit bumped up. And that human growth hormone actually protects you from losing muscle mass, and it Mm. protects your metabolic rate. Now, the important thing is, (laughs) when you break a fast or you're ready to eat, your body cannot perceive a threat, right? It's like anytime your body perceives a threat and it's like, I'm not getting enough calories, I'm not getting enough nutrition, it's going to downregulate your metabolic rate. And so that's the beauty of intermittent fasting. It's like, yeah, you're in a fasted state, your human growth hormones increase to protect your lean tissue. But then when you eat, you have to eat and you have to nourish well, because then your body okay, like, I I don't really like this that I've, you know, I'm, I'm 20 hours in a fasted state, you know, like I'm getting hungry. Maybe you're doing a 24 hour fast. Um, I need some food, but then when you do eat, if you eat in a way that, you know, like how I coach and probably how you coach, I would imagine like, then your body's not perceiving a threat. It's like, Oh, cool. Like, okay. Now I have the nourishment that I need. Exactly. protein I need. I have the fatty acids that I need. I'm all good. And so it doesn't freak out. It's just, but we have this diet culture of, you know, lower calories and not eating like chronically under eating. And that's what, you know, like women think they have to be hungry in order to lose weight. Like that's, you just don't like, I have to be and I can't eat this. I have to, like you said, stay to the rules. I can't go more than 1200 calories. Like that's just nonsense. So it's like when we learn a way to eat with our hormones and eat how we're designed to eat, go some longer periods of time without eating, because that's okay. Like humans are meant to do that. But then when you're eating, you're eating and you're eating whole, real nutritious foods that your body's going to say, cool. I'm now nourished, but yeah, that, that that chronic calorie deprivation diet culture is just going to mess you up, you know, all around with, with hormones. Right. So, you know, when I, I know when I was trying to break myself of this five days, like, first of all, it was just like, you know, my world just exploded in front of my face. Like, it was just like, what are you telling me? Um, but one of the things I know that I, I had, I'm, I need to like baby step into the pool. I can't cannonball myself into the pool. So for those people who are like, I'm just going to have one meal a day. I'm like, who are you people? Like, 
I would, you know, so people who are listening to this and they might've been thinking about intermittent fasting and didn't know we're going to talk about this was going to pop up. So I'm excited. I can cross something else off my list. Um, (laughs) One of the ways that I kind of baby step people into this kind of getting more space in between their meals was I stopped. I just cut one meal off. Right. So it was like, instead of, if I was having five, I had four and like, could I add on just a bit more to any of my meals? Because like you, like I never experienced true fullness. I was either hungry or I overate. There was no like happy medium. And I'm sure people listening here, they're like, Oh, you just called me out of my shit. I'm like, I because that's how I was. I was either hungry or stuff like there was no like in between and it was very challenging to find that that space yeah and that's just so much of it is blood sugar and so much of it is mindset and once you're like on a diet you're feeling deprived you're feeling deprivation you're thinking about all the foods i can't have rather than all of the foods that are nourishing then you that you can't have um so yeah when i work with people a lot of them are like, are like where's your meal plan like where's yeah. your meal plan for me i'm like i don't have a meal plan for you <laughs> like you right. need to learn how, how to eat. balance your food like you can't just follow a two week meal plan or one month and for the rest of your life, you can't, you can't go out to eat and know what to order. And so I'm like, you know, like I'll give you some targets and I'll give you food lists that, that will help, but you need to learn to eat in a way that is satisfying and that works with your hormones. And like you, yeah, you cycle through that two weeks and then what, and half the foods you don't want to eat, you know, (laughs) like your or you don't tolerate them. So I don't make like food guides for people. I have, I do have a recipe book that I have like low carb um, meals that are with whole foods, but I, yeah, people are always asking me like, where's your, where's your meal plan? You've given them 400 pages of like awesomeness and they're like, but I didn't find the meal plan. You're like, dude, dude, come on. I, back when I used to do meal plans, I remember I wrote, okay, have a fruit. And I gave like three examples of a fruit. And then the woman like literally like was blowing up my phone because I gave her three examples. I, I think I said kiwi, um, apple, grapefruit. They didn't have any of those at the grocery store that she went to. And I was like, I don't know where, where she was in America, but I was like, they don't have any one of those three things. She said, what do I do? What do I do? And I, from that point forward, I was like, she's a grown ass woman and she is breaking down in the grocery store because one of these three things like wasn't there. And I was like, I, I, I can't do this. I need to teach people how to, to, to eat. Right. Yeah. And my whole, like my whole philosophy is like, I teach you how to live a low insulin lifestyle that isn't stimulating insulin all the time. Mm-hmm. Because if insulin resistance is your issue, we correct that problem and all of the metabolic issues will correct themselves. And it's, it's crazy. It's like 70 to 80% of American adults have some degree of insulin resistance. It's hard to like pinpoint um, what the actual percentage is because it does run on a spectrum and some people have light insulin resistance and they're just kind of starting to to not be able to, um, you know, like they're thinking about food all the time. They're having some sugar cravings where like the the very, you know, high level insulin resistance is your type two insulin dependent 
diabetic. Like that is very dysregulated blood sugar. And so people ask me like, where do I start with fasting? Where do I start with, 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 you know, eating. And it's like, I have to look at your health history. I have to look at your goals and I have to look at where you're at now, because if you're coming off standard American diet and you have type two diabetes, like that's a, that's a different protocol than somebody who is slightly insulin resistant and following a lower carb whole food approach. Like it's just going to different. And so, yeah, it's like, people want this like cut and dry, like cookie cutter, like this is what I, this is what, but it's so different. And, and your health history plays a huge role as well as what, what you're trying to accomplish. It's like, what are, I need to know what you're trying to accomplish so I can help you. Right. And it's funny. Cause it's like you and I both are like, yeah, I want black and white too. Like black and white would make my life so much easier. I would be able to like, hang on, here, you take this and you take this. It would make your life so much easier, but there's so much nuance. And when, you know, most people probably when they get to you have probably knocked on the door of several doctors done umpteen diets. And they're just like, I'm at my wits end here. And, you know, it's just like, I get it. I feel you. But sometimes we have to kind of like go back to basics and basics just suck. And it's probably going to go slower than you want. And I know recently I had to do some things to go back to the basics. And I was like, basics suck. Like it just, it yeah. just, and like, you feel like you're in quicksand, but it's like, you can't build a house without a good solid foundation or at some point it's just going to implode on itself. Yeah. And nutrition is never black and white. Like people want it to be black and white. Yeah. I want it to black and white for people. Cause that'd make my job a whole lot easier. Um, but will it, what I will say, it's like, no matter what, I don't even want to say diet. I don't like to say diet, but nutritional right. you are following. It needs to be whole food almost, you know, at least the vast majority of the time, it has to be real food that you can say, I know what this is rather than from a right. wrapper. 40 ingredients like that across the board. I don't know. I don't care if you're following carnivore Paleo, I would hope you're doing whole food if you're following paleo, ketogenic, even a vegetarian. Like it needs to be real food, right? Or it's going to likely fail you, or at least mostly whole food. I mean, I like to, you know, people like to, well, well, when when can I do a cheat day or when can I? It's like, no, like let's focus on real whole food at least 80, 90 percent of the time. And you might need to stop eating out so much. You might need to stop right. going drive throughs Like if you are serious about recovering your health, you need to do what it takes to recover your health. You can't all of a sudden like, okay, I want to get healthier and be thinking about what shortcuts can I take. It's like, it's so, whenever someone's like, well, when's my cheat day? First of all, like one, I hate that word. Two, I do too. every, like, if we're only looking forward to when you can have a treat, I'm like, I don't want it to be a day because it's so easy to just go like buck wild in a day. But the second, it's like, I want you to think about food as a relationship. So if you and I were about to enter in a relationship, you'd be like, I really like you, Shana. You're awesome. But when can I cheat on you? (laughs) You would never say that to someone that you were romantically interested in, because guess what? I'd be like, we out. Like That's not the relationship I want. But it's like, when you tell yourself, I can't have, that's when you want it. And it could be the most healthiest thing. You could be like an apple. And if I tell you you can't have an apple, you bet your sweet bottom, you want that apple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I don't, I never use the word cheat day either. And I'm not, it's like when people come through my courses and I work with them, it's not like I, I, I say you absolutely can't ever have anything right. you want to say sugary or, you know, a, a treat or whatever again, but we just need to learn how to work it in, in a way right. that doesn't sabotage you. Number one, cause you're right. Like a cheat day can undo six days of a healthy approach. And now you're off the rails and you spend two or three days trying to come back and then you're good again, right. air quotes. And, you know, you, but then you get to that cheat day and it's just, it's a, it's a horrible cycle. So I teach my students like how to work certain foods in. It's not going to like set you up for disaster and a huge blood sugar spike. Like there's a lot of facts that you can do. You can, you can eat these foods with protein and fat so that you negate your blood sugar spike. You can go for a walk after you, you know, if you have something that you didn't intend to have, and, and pull that sh- blood sugar back down. There's just a lot of things you can do, but you just, you have to learn how to do it. And <laughs> you have to, you have to learn to do it in a way that works for you. So yeah, it's like, I wish there was, yeah, there's just nutrition. There's just not black and white because everybody's preferences are different. Everyone's backgrounds are different. Their ethnicity, like that plays into it. It's just, there's a lot, there's so many different variables or you know, if they move from another country and here I'm telling them, you know, I give them a food plan of American food and they're like, what the heck are these? <laughs> right. <laughs> or even know. So yeah, there's or just- if you're a picky eater, like, or are you trying to like, make sure you like incorporate things that you can cook for your whole family? Like I, I I'm a hundred percent with you. So I want to respect your time, but I also have, I have like two questions that I want to talk about. So a lot of my people, and I'm sure people come to you and how can I test mm-hmm. for insulin resistance? You know, is there a test? Um, do I go to my, you know, can I go to my doctor and get this test? You know what? And if I do get my test, what are the tests I'm going to be asking for? Yeah, you can absolutely test for it. Um, the problem is some of some practitioners won't want to run the tests that I mm. will suggest. So metabolic health is is more than just like one test, but I will tell you the tests that I like to look for. And I actually have a webinar on this, a free Perfect. webinar that goes over all of like what tests to ask for and how to interpret them. But the first three I would have you ask for. And these will tell you a lot about where you are with blood sugar regulation and metabolic health and insulin resistance is a fasting glucose, which almost everybody has a hemoglobin A1C, which will give you an average of your blood sugars over the last three months or so, which most people have had that as well. The third one is a fasting insulin and hardly anybody has had that done. And it's kind of one of those tests that's it's not expensive. It's easy to run. You can run it right with your fasting glucose and your A1C, but it's not in the standard of care for diabetes or metabolic diseases. So you get a lot of pushback a lot of times and your doctor will be like, well, why do you want a fasting insulin? Well, the C5 insulin resistance. Well, they don't know how to interpret the results. They don't know half the time, even what insulin resistance is, let alone how to test and and give you any education. Any feedback, yeah. The thing is, is like if if an insulin, re- you know, an fasting insulin comes back, they don't know how to interpret it. Right. And then they're on the hook. If it's out of range, they're on the hook for- Gotcha. Educate you about it. So a lot of times they'll just won't do it. Right. Um, 
but but that one is very helpful. And the ranges that I look for for fasting insulin is two to six is optimal. Six to twelve is kind of starting moderate insulin resistance. And when I first tested myself, I was like ten point seven, and so I was wow. in that insulin resistance. And Kim, this is two years after I had been intermittent fasting and pulled carbs. Like I was, I don't follow, I, I eat around hundred grams of carbs a day. I don't right. count them. That's about where I am. So when I say low carb, I'm not like ketogenic every day right. or anything. Um, but I was still at 10.7. So I have no idea where I started because I didn't know what to test for it. Right. Um, but now it's around 7.5, I think was my last one. So it is slowly coming down. And it's one of those things that takes a while to correct because insulin right. resistance can be going on. We didn't talk about this for years or decades before the blood sugar gets right. elevated. And, you know, as I started kind of like my, I'm going to say my like reader's digest level of understanding of insulin resistance. One of the hallmarks is what you were, as you were talking about, is getting this either your fasting glucose, but also your fasting insulin, just so you can kind of keep your eye on it. So that if something is, especially the glucose, if your doctor will take the glucose because they know how to deal with that. But if they take that and that number starts to go up a bit, you can start to start having conversations around it with your doctor about glucose. Now, with that said, one of the things that I've noticed in my own personal and just again, my cursory reading is that as I go through menopause, my blood sugar is rising. And that's also just because of the hormonal roller coaster that I'm on right now. So as I enter in menopause, I should be even more conscious of these blood sugar spikes. Yeah, that's very common um, to, as you go through perimenopause and menopause, um, you just get a little bit less insulin sensitive. And so women want to eat the same way in their 40s, 50s that they did in their 20s, 30s, and you just can't. And so you're just not as sensitive anymore. I mean, you're older. So, so that's why it's like the lower carb, high protein approach that I teach is is going to serve you well in perimenopause and menopause because your blood sugar is starting to change. A lot of it's just estrogen dropping right. um, and just all of those hormonal shifts. And then you were asking our adrenal glands to start taking over for our ovaries and that puts stress on them and it can, you know, the cortisol response. And like, there's just a lot of factors that go into it. But mm -hmm. the other thing I want to mention is our protein needs actually increase as we get older. A lot of yeah. people think oh, I'm not as active. I don't need it. But the reason why is that we actually recirculate a lot of our protein every day. Like we go through about around 300 grams of protein every day that our body is needing to build and do whatever processes that we are doing. And so if you're taking in a hundred grams of protein a day, you're recycling 200 grams, if that makes uh, sense. Yeah. So as you age, that recycling process just isn't as efficient. And so right body's not as good at, at doing that process. So you need to make sure you're getting enough protein. Um, but going back to the fasting insulin test too, like if you're over 12, that's more significant insulin resistance. And the other problem um, in the conventional system is that the thresholds that are given, that you are given are terrible. Like, it will, like you 
unless you're 25 or above and fasting insulin, it's, it's normal. Yeah. It's like no. over 12 is pretty moderate, like pretty severe insulin resistance. And so, I mean, I've had, I think the highest ones I've seen are in the forties and fifties. That's very severe insulin resistance, but um, yeah. And so even if you get it tested and yours is 15, which is pretty significant, your doctor, if they're not educated, they'll just say it's normal. Like you don't have a right. problem. Um, and then some of the other labs that I have people check are a lipid panel. You and every almost yeah. everybody has a lipid panel, and so your cholesterol breakdown. But when I key in on are the triglycerides yep. and the HDL because triglycerides, if you have really high triglycerides, you're not like there's too much fat in the bloodstream, and usually it's because you're converting energy from carbohydrates. It's so fat. yeah, yeah. People think, oh, my triglycerides are high. I have to lower my fat. It's like, nope. It's usually because as I talked about before, you've stuffed those carbohydrate stores so full, but the energy is still coming in and your body's right. got to convert it to fat. So I look at triglycerides and HDL and, and everybody probably has a lipid panel, but if you take your triglycerides and divide it by your HDL, your um, number should be, your ratio should be less than 1.5 for best metabolic health. If it's above that, you probably have some insulin resistance going on. And then the third thing I look at is waist circumference, which anybody can do right. because the central obesity is telltale for insulin it's resistance. Yeah. Blood sugar yeah. issues. Women should be less than 35 inches and men less than 40. So those are kind of the things collectively that I look at and blood pressure plays a role as well. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, one of the things I always tell my women is, is and what you exactly said, like, you know, part of our issue with hormonal interplay happening is that, yeah, our triglycerides go up because of hormones, but also that, you know, if I have tried to stuff all of my stuff up into the attic, eventually that door is going to break open. And then when doctors also, they'll look at your, your cholesterol and instead of it being, what's your food like, they will zero in on beef or eggs or versus I'm like, let's look at the overall thing. I'm like, I eat beef once a week. Like that's not going to raise my cholesterol by any stretch of the imagination. Even if I ate beef 10 times a week, it's not going to bring in the fat. It's not going to bring in all of my, um, cholesterol. That's not the issue. It's a systemic overall problem. Yeah, that, that dogma drives me nuts. That it's saturated just... fat needs to be so limited and saturated fat is the most stable it's... fat. And satiating for people, like if you have a, like a quality fat, I like that's the one thing I noticed when I really upped my fat, it just, like my body is like, Oh, this is good. Yes. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, and I'm satiated. I don't think about food. It's those. And that, you know, that's another, we could do a whole other podcast. Those inflammatory seed oils that are high in omega six, right? All the packaged foods have are absolutely terrible. And, you know, that's another thing that's critical to get out of your diet as much as possible to help with the insulin resistance issue. Because that's just like those fats are harming your, it's the cellular level. It like goes right. to the cellular level with the, the seed right. oil. And it's funny because yeah. it's like, oh, I always, <laughs> for, for years, I've always told all of my clients, I was like, we need 369 for, we, to hit, hit the entire spectrum of our 
good fats because in America, we're very good at six. We can, oh yeah, we yeah. can nail omega six oh. like nobody's business, but we suck at three and nine. And so it's like really like making sure that, and it's not just, sorry, ladies, it's not just freaking olive oil for the love of God. <laughs> right. I mean, I, if you're going to use an oil, extra virgin olive oil is great, but however, small fats that really can help you with satiation. And, um, yes, the, I, I've at least seen like, at least eggs have been, you know, de-villainized mainstream beef is not there. It's like any post that I ever see from the Academy of nutrition and dietetics will be like, Oh, we need more protein. And it's always all the plant-based proteins, quinoa, which you need to eat like six cups of quinoa to get any great source of protein. And no red meat ever, like there's never and any meat. And it's funny because, you know, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. And we all, know, <laughs> we all know that the FDA is ruled by lobbyists. And so I, given what the beef lobby did to freaking Oprah back in the day, I am shocked that they haven't been knocking on the door of the FDA being like, for the love of God, can you put us on that damn food chart? <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's insane how our food system is run and real whole food like dairy and beef and um, like the commodities are collectively given like um, a set amount of money for marketing. Right. And it's like, it's like 1%, 2%, something crazy compared to like PepsiCo. Like it's like, you just well, well, think about it. Like if I were to turn on the TV right now and I'm in, in, in 30 minutes time, I'm going to see a commercial for some type of fast food, like be it pizza, McDonald's, whatever. I'm going to see some type of commercial for take this magic elixir and all of my, ma- all of my weight will just disappear. And I won't, I probably will have to go a few hours before I see a commercial that says, you know, the magic of whole foods. Yeah. If you see any and you'll right. see pharmacy after pharmaceutical yeah, yeah exactly it's all some magical elixir. healthy people don't make any money right <laughs> i used to do a lot of work with biotech companies and they said um they're like there's no money in cures no and there's no money in fasting there's no money in healthy food there's no money in healthy people so yeah, the the, yeah. the powers that be do not like people like you and I. <laughs> no, who are like run fast from taking a medication. Yes. And but if you are on medication, great, take it. But have I always ask, tell people, have those conversations with your doctor. It's like great. If you want me to get on this, how do I get off of it? Right. Because I think there are medications and you need medications. I am I take thyroid medication. I need it. But it's like there's a plan to get me off. So it's like, what's the on-ramp? What's the off-ramp? Yes, exactly. And, or even just decreasing the amount. So that's what my primary goals with my students is if, um, you know, if they want to get off medications, like how to do that, how to decrease it. But you're right. I mean, some pharmaceuticals are necessary for certain people, but it's like when people come to me and they're on 10 pharmaceuticals, they're like, I'm done with this. And I don't right. <laughs> well, it's expensive and you don't feel good. And then they have all these side effects. And, and it's like, when you look at, if you know, if you're 40 years old, you look at having to do that for 30 40 more years, right? You're like, I want to tap out. Yes. Yes. 
this is, I could talk to you forever. Like you, I like, I have found my soulmate here. <laughs> Sina, thank you so much for, for doing this. I did want to ask about fasting, but I, I don't want to take over, over my time. So we're going to have to do a part two. Sure. Yeah, I got a trailer here. Part two coming your way. <laughs> um, I asked all of my guests, what's one thing that makes you feel magical? Yeah, you did. You did tell me you were going to ask me this, but one <laughs> thing that makes me feel magical. And I, you know, I kind of already alluded to it earlier. It's just, I'm not in this for the money. Like I'm in the, like when people genuinely just get it and it clicks with them. Like, I feel like I never had that with, with the people that I work yeah. with for before. Like, it's just like, people just get it and they're empowered and they yeah. know that sustainable because diets are not sustainable. But when you find an approach that actually like works with human hormones, <laughs> works with how we're supposed to eat, and we've just been misguided for so long, like I get a message from a student or even like people on Instagram, I get lots of DMs and just like people who are working behind the scenes, they just look at my Instagram page or they listen to my podcast and they're like, Hey, I lost 25 pounds. Thought I just let you know. And my A1C has gone from seven to 5.6. Like just, just letting you know, I'm like, oh, awesome. Like I'm yeah. just me up because I feel like, like I have three kids. That's my number one purpose here, but my professional purpose. I feel like I finally found it and I can help people to actually feel better in a sustainable way, get them off medications, get them healed and feeling so much better with better energy. Yeah, no, I, 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 I love that. Cause it's funny how like someone who like, you just kind of, yeah, I'm just saying what I'm saying. And then someone actually took that information, applied it and got a result. You're like, dang, all right, this is good. <laughs> Right. Yes. It's very refreshing because I didn't get a lot of those messages when I was teaching conventional <laughs> guidelines. Right. Sure. And I love RDs who like, you know, you go to school and they're like, here's the textbook. And then you realize the textbook doesn't really like relate to real people. Yeah. Yeah. And what I learned in school, it's like I learned the physiology and I learned the anatomy and the biochemistry, but it's it's when you get into your internship and actually like where you have to start teaching the guidelines that they want you to teach. It's that's where the disconnect is. Right. It, You're like, you don't yeah. talk to real people when you write this textbook, do you? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Shana, thank you so much. And where can people find you on the socials? Yeah, I wrote a book called Fast to Heal that will give you kind of the overview of how to start with intermittent fasting. And I do include a lot about nutrition in there as well. But that's it's about three and a half years old. So um, I'm working on getting some updates in there or a part two. Um, I have a podcast called Fast to Heal Stories that has over 150 episodes that's full of metabolic health information. I'm very active on Instagram. Um, and it's just my name, shanna.hassan.rdn. So I put out a lot of information there. And then my website is called um, fasttoheal.info. And that has, I do have a lot of um, courses, self-paced courses that you can do to learn about all of this information because 
it, I just decided it's so many hours and so much education. I'm just recording it and letting people do it in a self-paced way. And then you can work with me individually once you're in my courses. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has just been more than I have have expected. And I really, really thank you so much. This was spot on exactly what I was looking for. It was my pleasure to be here. All right, Magic Makers, look her up. She provides so much great stuff on her Instagram. Grab her book if you are really interested in insulin resistance. And trust me, ask your doctor for the ask your doctor for the damn test and be like, I won't sue you, sue you if you don't know all the answers. I just want to have this information for myself. Information is power, friends, and I need you to have the power in your hands. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day, Magic Makers. Thank you for listening to the Fit Girl Magic Podcast. If you've made it this far, yay. I'm thinking you enjoyed the show. Let's continue the conversation on Instagram. You can find me at Kim Jefferson Coach. In order for me to keep sharing this message, do me a favor and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. New episodes are available every Wednesday. The Fit Girl Magic Podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions about your health. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much.